Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Last century, it's been said that there were approximately 12 cities in the world with populations of over 1 million people. Now that is over 500. There are over 500 cities in the world with populations over a million. So what do we do with this, this major shift, and how do we manage the consumption patterns, growth issues, and so on? Natalie Snyder is the Climate Change and Sustainability Coordinator for Palm Beach County. I asked her to join us so she could explain the topic and the challenges. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me, Dr. Strauss. What is sustainability and why is it so important? Sustainability is a very basic concept, which essentially means that you're able to meet all of your needs today without sacrificing the needs of those tomorrow. It doesn't mean no growth or even a slow growth. What it means is you're able to meet your needs, to be able to have a good quality of life, and yet the people who come after you, your children, your grandchildren, are able to do the same. So why is a government agency involved? What sort of challenges come before you? It's very interesting because government is involved in every aspect of our life, whether or not we know this to be true, anticipate it to be true, or even want it to be true. There are so many aspects that government has its hands in from growth management, planning, zoning, from our environmental resources, from transportation and engineering, from public works, to parks and rec and libraries, to economic sustainability. So each of these different departments play a key and critical role in a lot of aspects of our lives. Why is the government involved in sustainability as a single entity? Because each of these separate departments have their own role in sustainability. If you put it under one particular department, it then takes on the aspect and the flavor of that particular department. So if you put it into environmental resources management, for example, then people only equated with environmental resources and they don't understand the linkages to the other departments, the other aspects of their lives, such as transportation, such as the built environment of planning, housing developments, and developments like that. What the Palm Beach County has done is they've created this position which is housed and organizationally structured under county administration so that a holistic look of how each of these departments contribute towards sustainability of county and even larger regionally, it's able to come through in a much stronger way. One of the things that keeps coming to the front when one looks at sustainability is the word integration, the integration of economic growth, cultural growth, ecologic safety. What you're saying is that that's what you're doing as a government agency as well. You're trying to integrate all these programs. Absolutely. You have all of these departments and all of these different programs because it's easier to be able to deal with the day-to-day aspects of them, to be able to work with them on a departmental manner. Because if you just had everyone lumped together, it would be very difficult to get anything done. You have to compartmentalize. With sustainability, though, it does begin to cut across everything. There are aspects that we can take a look at ourselves from an organizational structure from a county standpoint and then reaching out into the larger community in which we serve. Someone wanted to come and build a new housing development. 
it would be perhaps one of your tasks to look at it. Is there going to be enough water supply? Is it going to be enough schools? Is there going to do other things which are going to limit the sustainability of the overall population? Am I correct on that? Because I know. No, I I coordinate the different activities that go on across the county. I cannot look at every single project that comes through. I wouldn't have nearly enough time. You would need at least probably 50 of me to be able to do that. What my job is, is to be able to help instill an ethic into these different departments such that they are then able, when they are looking at these different developments that come in or projects, that we begin to look through a lens of climate resiliency and longevity of the county and its operations and its populace. One of the things that keeps coming up when I read about sustainability is the sense that we have to look at our own limits. We have to look at that we cannot continue to do things with the sense of an infinite ability to growth. There will be a point where we can't maintain the growth anymore unless we significantly change consumption patterns or other things. Well, that's correct. It's a very interesting conundrum that we have that as a species, we tend toward growth. I mean, and if you take a look at it, it's a very exponential growth at this particular point in time. There is no judgment on whether growth is good or bad. It's how we are using the resources to continue generating the growth. Are we going to be able to continue with our current consumption? And the answer is probably not. There isn't a way to continue consuming the way that we have been consuming. I mean, already when you take a look at the consumption patterns of more developed countries versus less developed countries, you see a difference. And what's happening is what you see is when less developed countries get to a point where they're developing more, their consumption patterns go off the charts because capitalism, consumerism spurs government growth. What we need to start looking at is how do we build in first of all, efficiencies into our systems. The first step before you get people even to change is get them to think about things differently. And you can do these types of passive efficiencies that people don't even notice in their lives. When people need a new dishwasher, they now are most likely buying energy smart dishwashers that without them having to change a consumptive pattern, automatically reduces energy consumption and water consumption. So that's the first step. The next step is for them to take a look at what their consumption patterns are with regard to how does it affect my bottom line? Am I going to be able to put less money out to my bills? So that's when you start seeing things, for example, like I'm changing out my light bulbs or I'm going to change out faucet aerators to more actively reduce my consumption. And then it gets into where you see local produce movements or buying locally. So when you're doing that, you're able to reduce carbon footprints of things that you're buying. You're attempting to not potentially buy fruits and vegetables that have been shipped to you from Brazil because you're attempting to buy much more locally. And then comes into companies reducing their packaging, trying to reduce that when you see that water bottles now they use less plastic in order to do it. And then the consumer going, you know, do I actually need plastic water bottle or am I going to bring my own refillable water bottle. So it's these incremental steps that hopefully snowball into us taking a really hard look at the things that we need and we don't need. And it's not about living a life of austerity, but it's about mindful consumerism. And protecting our planet, which in turn protects us. Indeed. 
one of the, the very interesting things is you get bombarded on so many sides in the news, in newspapers, in print, online, and sometimes there comes to be a earth fatigue or an environmental fatigue is wanting to help the planet. And that's why coming at these issues from a number of different ways is really good. A lot of times what is the easiest fit is passive lowering consumerism in a passive way, which is why I explain when people are purchasing new appliances or doing something like that, but purchasing a new home, which is now much more energy efficient, to saying, okay, I want to reduce my bills. How is it affecting my wallet? And building into an everyday way of life, the protection of the environment, the protection and in, in the understanding that what we do impacts our environment. The next step after that is showing people that, hey, you like to go to a park, that's the natural environment. I mean, you don't want trash all over the place. How do we, as a community, take care of these little pockets of our community and then understand it on a much broader scale that what we do locally affects everything globally? When we look at our particular lifestyles, we have to see that there is a connection between the lifestyle and how we got it, what we bring to it, what waste material we're producing as a result of it, and just learning to think about the impact and our own personal individual right. footprints. Exactly. It's trying to generate an understanding and awareness of what those impacts are so that, like I said, it's mindful consumerism. When you are purchasing or you are doing something along those lines of being able to say, if I brought my bags to the grocery store, then I'm keeping these bags out of a landfill and out of the oceans and out of the environment that my kids play in and generations play in. And, and I don't want to see them if I'm kayaking or doing something like that. It comes down to there are some companies that need a little bit of urging. There are some supermarkets and stores that will not, they, they don't provide bags for you, which is wonderful. You see that happening and you start seeing it happening more. Then you have those stores that say, well, we'll provide them to you, but if you bring your own, we'll give you a nickel back. And then you have ones that say, oh, but our people want bags, so we're not going to change our thought process. But if consumers start bringing their bags in, they'll start realizing, hey, we, don't, we, we, we shouldn't be providing this. We don't have to provide this. It's Small movements actually do make a, a huge deal. It comes down to saying, I am personally going to make this change, regardless of what my next door's neighbor is doing, as opposed to, well, why should I do it if they aren't going to do it? Do people in the area of sustainability address population growth, the anticipated population in the world? I think by the year 2050 is supposed to be 6 billion people. We're at like a 2 or 3 billion now. That's going to shift things enormously, just the pressure. I know it can be a very controversial controversial topic. Is there a sense of how to deal with just the sheer number of people requiring Earth's resources? That's a very interesting question and a very touchy question because you can't tell someone not to procreate. You can't tell people not to migrate. When you see strains on resources and you start seeing a very strong pushback from people in different areas and regions because you see natural population growth, from a sustainability standpoint, there is always what the government looks at or governmental agencies look at. We look at population trends. We look at growth when it comes to uh, and demographics from a water supply issue, from a potential transit issue, from a land use issue of how are you going to accommodate this growth. We have been able to do it to a, a decent extent. There's always unanticipated 
shifts, and there's always economic downturns which affect how things shift the population. From a sustainability standpoint, one of the things that is built into trying to be sustainable is if you are using less resources for the population you have, you are saving those resources to be able to use later. Or if you're shifting to renewable resources, either in new material product or in your energy, if they're renewable, then you're able to accommodate a higher level of growth. I don't have answers for population growth. From a sustainability standpoint and why we need to integrate sustainability thought processes into every department is that it needs to be a stronger mindset of not just taking care of what is our population now, but what it will be. And also in doing that, what we have to keep in mind, a lot of these projects and programs that the government offers and we are obligated to cost money. And it is taxpayer dollars and we need to be good stewards of taxpayer dollars. Some of these projects and programs have lifespans. So you're not going to have your program or project has a built lifespan of say 30 years. You're not going to build something to accommodate a population 70 years out because then that increment is a waste of money and chances are it goes up exponentially trying to add that extra layer there for a population that's anticipated beyond the lifespan of that project or program. As we go in time, we do see efficiencies in the industry. We do see technological changes and we're able to take advantage of them as time goes on. We attempt to try to to look ahead as far as we can and incorporate that into our day-to-day activities. You mentioned the word energy, and one of the interesting things that has fascinated me is that we seem to be coming out of what some people call the second industrial revolution that was in large part based on the, of energy from carbon sources. Mm-hmm. And the next industrial revolution, to use the term, will be energy from renewable sources. Correct. It's a huge shift. It's a tremendous shift. It is. It may give us flexibility, and if I can use the term of wiggle room, because it's not going to pollute the air and we're still going to be able to use electricity. I would imagine and that's part of the thinking that goes in your planning as well. Absolutely. There's there's two different sides of it. Well, there's many different sides, but the two main sides, is what I, I'm alluding to, is the fact that renewable energy is just that. There's a larger source of it. It always comes down to storage of that energy and how to be able to weather, if you will, shocks to the system, such as an emergency situation or hurricanes or something like that, so that you're able to maintain that stream of energy if there are impacts to infrastructure. So I understand from a disbursement standpoint or an infrastructure standpoint what's going to happen from that. However, a big part of what we need to figure out with renewable energies as well is how to reduce our carbon footprint. One of the things that I'm tasked with doing is attempting to bridge that gap between local and regional initiatives on reducing our greenhouse gas footprint. Right now, we're looking at what Palm Beach County's greenhouse gas emissions footprint is and how can we lower that. That directly impacts what's happening with human-induced climate change, increases in temperatures, 
increases or decreases in precipitation, increases in sea level rise, and renewable energies go a very, very long way to helping us reduce the amount of carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide equivalents that we're putting out into the atmosphere. Are people frightened of all these changes? Do you find a certain resistance that they don't want to hear about it because it means they're going to have to change their lifestyle? Or to the opposite, that people generally agree with it, maybe they're not engaging in these behaviors as much as they should. Where would you say if you can, the average person's mentality and approach to the need for sustainability? I can't say that there is an average. They do fall into a lot of different compartments as to how they think about this. There is the, I don't want to change the way I've been doing things. I'm really good at the way I'm doing things. And now you're telling me I have to think about this and change processes and thought patterns. And why should I? Because I'm not going to agree that it's happening, but even if it is happening, there's nothing we can do about it. And I'm just one person or we're just a very small part of the world and it's not going to make a difference. There are the people who go, it is happening, but it's so big and I don't know what to do. I can't figure it out. So I'm going to go and I'm going to listen to people talk about it, but I'm not exactly sure what to do. I think there are a lot of people out there who go, yeah, it is happening. Tell me what to do. I'm very interested. And I'm trying to help develop some resources to help them understand what changes that they can do. But people are generally right. It's not going to be one individual person who's going to make a difference. But when we all decide to make the difference together, then we can make a change. And it's going to come from a little bit of a push from government is going to start, but then it's going to be businesses. It's going to be small businesses. It's going to be large businesses. It's going to be banks. When the financial industry sits up and takes notice, that's when you're going to start seeing widespread shifts. And right now, you're starting to see banks sitting up and taking notice. One of the things that has come out recently is six of the largest financial institutions in the United States came out with a statement in support of prosperity and growth. The financial sector statement on climate change, Bank of America, Citi, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, and Morgan Stanley, all are calling for leadership and cooperation among governments for commitments to lead a strong global climate agreement. This is where the rubber really hits the road. And this is where I explain to people, oh, government's getting involved. That's government telling me what to do. Yes, because we see, and government is a voice for those who don't have voices. If you have enough money, you are able to have a voice, and a lot of people don't. So government is there to help give a voice to those who don't. And when you see financial institutions starting to sit up and take notice and go, you know, we have a lot of investments in a lot of the things that are going to be and are currently being impacted by climate change, by lack of sustainability, government, we need you to start taking a leadership role, other people start to listen. This is encouraging and promising. I thank you for your work. Please don't stop it. Well, I'm not going to stop as long as there are people who don't want me to stop. <laughs> Just ripples into the educational program so kids grow up knowing to buying an LED light bulb versus an incandescent light bulb and the reasons for it. Natalie Snyder is the Climate Change and Sustainability Coordinator for Palm Beach County. Ms. Snyder, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, Dr. Strauss, it's my pleasure anytime.